0: Welcome to the Invincibly Super Massive Comic Book Podcast of Stuff. I am Tony Guerrero, editor in chief of ComicVine.com. And joining me, we have Jacob Simon. Yes, I'm on. Okay, got it. Sure. <laughs> I should have asked you before. Usually, I ask.
1: Um, oh, you know what though? It, it, you were like the kindest person with that spelling because most people just just go semen. <laughs> <It's> straight straight <laughs> where their head goes. It's uh, fantastic.
0: Well, I don't know what that is. I didn't even think about that. So, oh, I are guess, you serious? Yeah, wow, that's I guess, awesome. Guess that's good. So, <laughs> uh, so you have a a, a book coming out. So, create your own book from uh, at Image called Goners. So. Yeah. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some of the, You've also you've worked on Ultimate Spider-Man animated series, Avengers Assemble, some other things. So we're, we got a lot to talk about here. So oh um, yeah, no, let's so, cover all the geek stuff. Yeah. So I guess we'll we'll start with, with, with goners. First of all, we should just get it out of the way um, before anyone even if, if they haven't heard about it yet. Mm-hmm. Regardless, they need to call their comic store and say, "Hey, order me a copy of goners number one by Jacob Simon."
1: Yes,
0: with that, with that last name, please. Yeah, because, you know, uh, cause I, actually this came up recently. Because, um, you know, a lot of times we, we, we see the news, it's like, oh, this issue sold out. And, this is, and, and some people still aren't really clear on, on what that means when a comic book sells out and why a comic sells out. You know, why isn't there more printed and, and, and different things. And to my understanding, the, the print run is, is based on the orders, largely the orders from the comic shops, right?
1: Exactly.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. They have the FOC date, so if, if they get, you know, fifty thousand copies, then I, I, I believe they print a little more in case um, there's books damaged on accident from Diamond or whatever, and and then and then after that, it's it's sold out at the the distributor, but there might still be a couple copies at at their local store. Yes. So. Yeah,
1: I actually used to work at a comic shop, and uh, that's exactly how it works. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I've heard a lot of stories about 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 stuff having to get returned and and all that. Um, oh yeah, that
1: sucks.
0: But but yeah, and and also from from what I've heard, like uh, talking to like like Oni Press, where it's like and and like Josh Williamson, uh, it's like you guys don't really want your comics to sell out because that means comic shops didn't order enough, and and that means people going to store they they can't get it until you know hopefully there's a second printing.
1: Yeah, there's a there's an unfortunate um, there's an unfortunate like outcome for that because the consumer usually when they go to a shop, at least from what I witnessed firsthand, um, when you go to a shop and they don't have a first printing, more or less either they'll try to seek out the comic and trade only because they don't want to get a second printing. For some reason, some people have a very adverse effect. It's like the collector spirit in everyone, I think, mm-hmm. where they always want the first most pristine copy for sedition yeah um, and uh, it seems like either the weight or um, or they just like will kind of it kind of just drop off the radar so it's it's definitely good to have it available for as many eyeballs to get on because you know everything is kind of just word of mouth and pu- like publicity and whatever it's it's very much um, especially this community it's very much vocal people standing up for what they like really dig and what they kind of uh you know latch on to and so it's very nice to have it so that you have a lot of people doing that yeah (laughs) and not just like minimizing it so yeah it's definitely something that you don't want to have happen so yeah i would i would you know and also which is really cool is that um image on the october 22nd it's the only number one they have coming out so i'm very excited about that
0: yeah and and i mean image they they're they're getting quite the reputation now it's like I mean, they don't just put out anything you know we, we should just say that you know if, if they're gonna put out a book they they believe in the book and you know they're they're gonna back it, so that that says something and plus, I read it too, so I can say, yeah, it is good, so they they you know they made the right decision <laughs> <laughs> so really uh we we, we we should probably uh talk about a little bit about you know so people know because I mean, they're they're ready, hopefully they they pause the the show and call their comic stars or unless it's like midnight when they're listening. So uh, <laughs> hold
1: it for tomorrow.
0: Yeah. So yeah. yeah. How, how, what, what, what's your pitch? Like how, when, when you describe the goners, you know, without spoiling everything is like, you know, this is, this is, I guess this is your, your chance to to tell people like, oh, I'm not sure if I want, you know, maybe I want to buy another Batman book. So it's like, yeah. wh- what's your, your pitch to get them to not get that Batman book or that X-Men book and, and get your book.
1: Um, it's, it's, it's pretty much the gist of it is, its it's Johnny Quest meets like Hellboy, so it's a world that folklore and myth and supernatural exists. It's kind of how we used to believe in things. These are actually like real world like indigenous, indigenous or um, country based uh, mythologies, and it actually does exist in this world. And the human, uh, the human equivalent for our saviors is the Latimers. They're basically like the equivalent of. Uh, the green having swamp thing or the red having animal man. And there's just a long line ever since like recorded history. There's been like a family of Vladimers that kind of protects humans from, you know, the monsters keeping us from the bottom of the food chain to the top of the food chain Mm chain. And uh, in this current incarnation, they've turned it into a brand. They've turned it into, um, you know, toys and merchandising and they have their own reality show and lunch boxes and all this kind of stuff so they're worldwide renowned and loved and um josiah and zoe latimer are like the two uh kids like they're like the next they're gonna be the next generation of these uh of these uh protectors for the world and they're 12 and 17 years old respectively and they literally just watched their parents murdered live on television during a case and actually the world has too it's 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 akin to, or when I was writing, it was akin to something like the JFK assassination, where you see something routine, and the world can kind of get behind, and all of a sudden it turns into something really dark and scary. And right when that happens, the kids are being hunted immediately, and they don't know why. And it's just, it's it's an all-out war on this family. And this family is being hunted to the ends of the earth. And so these kids basically have to fight against that and try to figure out who killed their parents and why.
0: And and the interesting thing is, you know, the, the, like you said, there, there's kids involved, but this isn't a, 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 a necessarily like a a kids book. I mean, it, no. it's it's it gets a little 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 gruesome, little graphic. not not overly graphic, but um, there's there's definitely a lot of red, a lot of blood.
2: <laughs> and
1: yeah, it's uh, it's I definitely didn't want to hold pull punches back. Um, I I, I want to have it have the spirit of like these like. These things that I don't, I I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, when I grew up, Goonies and Monster Squad and, you know, uh, Johnny Quest and all these things that had kids growing up really fast and becoming the heroes, but against really, really serious, kind of like weighty uh, villains, I mean, yeah, there was like a tongue in cheek twist to it to Johnny Quest, but like, Goonies is pretty dark and Monster Squad is pretty dark too. Mm -hmm. And um, I think if you pull if you pull those punches a little bit it makes the threat seem less dangerous and i feel like having kids against uh you know an anti that's set really high like the, just they have to overcome with this whole thing and it's them versus like these like things that adults can't even take on is is kind of it's kind of where the adventure lies i think i think the adventure lies in like seeing and rooting for these underdogs to like overcome and like save the day
0: yeah. And it, it's, I, I, I like the feel where, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing what's going on now and then there's like the occasional, you know, flashbacks, you know, back when, when things were, I guess, a little, little calmer, a little more innocent. So it, it, it's, it's nice getting a feel where, you know, these kids are, are in, in the middle of this, not not, serious, not really an adventure. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, situation that they need to, you know, fight for their lives, but then we also get get a, a peek at to like what they were like growing up. And
1: yeah, the the, the flashback uh, technique that I wanted to use, I def- definitely wanted to kind of like do a throwback nod to kind of like lost uh, storytelling style, where it's like you definitely get you definitely infer the character's uh, personality and what kind of informs them of like how they are and what their relationship is to other people, um, and through different viewpoints. So, like, Francis, who is their race band, which is, like, they're basically <laughs> their manservant protector, he's, like, this big kind of, like, you don't really know what he is, but he's something, a little bit more than human. And, um, you know, you see his viewpoint of the family uh, different than how you would see it through Zoe's eyes, which is the daughter. And, um, it's just, it's very fun playing with viewpoints of, like, how people perceive others, and, um, back, you know, the whole thing is that the, that they got lax, they got really lax, and, um, fighting Supernatural has become, like, this, like, kind of joyous, uh, thing for them, and they, they kind of, like, make a, you know, dramatic production of it, they, they throw on, like, kind of, like, an Errol Flynn type of, like, toothy grin and, and smile, and, all the while it's getting deadlier and deadlier and they just don't even know it. They like, don't even, they just are oblivious to like the dangers around them until one day it actually comes to their door, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it's going to be a pass full of kind of just like happier times to get an idea of where this family is because the current state of the family is in shambles and they're just on the run. So it's harder. I think it would be harder to have those moments where you like kind of get a piece of like who they are. If you're doing it all through them trying to like not get eaten by a you know like a wolf or or an keck. so it's it's very uh it's very much a, uh, the flashbacks very much a utility of trying to inform you of who they are and what their family was all about.
0: And and then um Jorge Corona is doing the art, so yeah. So like, what was your your working relationship? I mean, did you like know him before? You know, is this you know, how did you guys develop this? Like the look. I, of- uh,
1: I have a graphic novel called Infected that hasn't come out yet. It's a it's a semi autobiographical um, graphic novel. It's like an anthology, kind of like in a, a harvard Picard type of way, where it's like stories, like little vignette stories, told by different artists. Mm-hmm. One of these artists is named Dane, Dane Saipel, and he's he's a really great artist. And he went to uh, the graduate program at Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD. And one one year, I was in New York for New York City Comic Con, and he told his friends, "Like, hey, go by this guy's booth, and say hi to him for me." And so, Jorge Morgan Beam and Ariella Christiansen, or Christiana, sorry, uh, who was doing the new? Uh, I think deep. Is, is it called Deep Space with Justin? Mm-hmm. Justin Jordan's new book. I boom. I can't remember the name of it. I think it's called. I can't remember. It was oh, man. Spread? it spread? No, it's not spread. It's a boom. It's coming out. I think it's called. I think it's called Deep State. Or
0: oh yeah, yeah.
1: I can't it, remember it just got announced like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, he's he's, um, he's got
0: a lot coming out.
1: Yeah, but these these three like are all of a sudden on the rise. Like everyone's uh, getting them recently. But I I was looking through the portfolio. that I got Morgan on um, infected for one of my vignettes, and I looked at Jorge's uh, portfolio, and I was like, oh man, this fits this story idea I have, and. Um I would love to hit you up with the scripts for it. And mind you, the script was something I wrote in college, and I uh <laughs> I, I definitely was gonna like try to update it and whatever, but I sent it to him just to get an evaluation of it. I didn't hear from him for a while. And um he eventually writes me back and he's like, Hey, um I didn't forget about you. I, I definitely am very interested in doing this, I like the style, um, blah blah blah. And he started naming out all these styles and these like flourishes that I liked. And I was like, this is exactly what I'm thinking. And like, I'm so glad he sent me some uh, sketches and I love those. And then I didn't hear from him again for like two more months. (laughs) And uh, after doing an anthology type of book where you deal with many artists, um, I kind of was like, okay, I think this guy's going to flake on me. So I should probably move on. So I wrote him one more email. I was like, hey, I'm going to move on um, if I don't hear from you. Uh, And then he's like, oh, sorry. And he sends me all the pages finished. (laughs) Like just finished the entire book. And I looked at the pages and I was just like, Oh my God, this is so great. Like it was like Christmas. It was like the weirdest (laughs) feeling in the world. Um, yeah. But ever since then, ever since he graduated, um, he got our scholarship to the graduate school at SCAD. And, uh, when he graduated, he was like, I'm definitely fully on board. Let's try to sell this thing. And I sold it. And, um, He's like, all right, let's do this. And so now we just, you know, gathered uh, Gabriel Casado on colors um, and Steve Wands, who, you know, um, he does so many books. Yeah. It's he does like Batman and uh, he did Underwater Welder, which was like a personal favorite graphic novel yeah. of mine. Um, but yeah, he's in, he's lettering and now he's inking too. Uh, he's inking, starting the second issue just to make produ- uh, productivity a little faster. Wow. Oh. Because uh, Jorge's got like two other books he's done too. So.
0: So like, what what's your your script like? You know, you, you know, do you are you like, you know, what, what, how do you lay out your scripts? Are you specifically like what you want and like perspective, or is it just you know open? Because I mean, for for him to do an entire issue and then you like look at it without you know going back and forth or feedback.
1: Yeah, no, that was the crazy part. It was like, I really, I want. It was almost like one of those things where I get a lot of. I feel like this happens a lot in. Uh, you know, television and film where you get like notes from executives and whatever. And you're just like, Oh, you're just trying to kind of justify a paycheck at this point. But, um, I kind of felt like I had to be like that guy where I was like, Oh man, I should probably say something. Cause like, I feel like I got to like, you know, tell them uh, something, like give them feedback. It doesn't look like I'm a pushover. And I was looking through all the pages and I was like, I can't find one thing that doesn't do exactly what I wanted to do. And it was really crazy. Um, progressively throughout the scripting stage, uh, I've gotten looser with my direction. I've gotten, um, you know, unless it's like absolutely necessary, like a color note or how I want a dialogue uh, piece of dialogue to sound on a certain part. Um, I really, I really gotten looser with a lot of how it uh, works with this this team because this team I absolutely trust their instincts. Um, I have not I've only kind of disagreed I think once or twice with like how a panel was laid out, and it's like been fixed within like five minutes. It's mm-hmm. like crazy. His, he uh, he, like he like lays things out on the computer so he can change them like on a, on a on like a seconds notice. Basically, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it, it's 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 definitely an interesting look because th- the way he draws the kids, you know, it it, it does look like like oh, you know, here's some happy kids. You know, they're sitting there, one kids to watch TV, and then all of a sudden, you know, we get thrust into you know the, the main crux of the the, the actionary thing and. And it's like it doesn't skip a beat, and you know it's it's like at no point does it compromise like trying to look like a, a, a kid friendly book, but then it just it just goes right into it. So it, it's it's its it's it's pretty cool the way it transitions from that where you know you're not really expecting and all of a sudden there there's you know a certain scene which I don't want to give away
1: are we talking about the first issue yeah yeah um. Just to set it up, I'll. I'll uh, there's a scene. It's it's, a, it's within the p- preview pages, so I feel like it's okay. okay. Um, it's a, a scene where the two kids, Josiah and Zoe. Um, Josiah is like kind of tinkering out with like a toaster because he likes to like build things, uh, as you'll see later on. Um, and Zoe's kind of just like it's time for bed, and he's like, "Oh, I'm just watching mom and dad on TV, like clear out this like nest of uh, of like vampires or whatever." And basically, what happens is. There is just just destruction before their eyes, where they on screen witness their parents getting murdered, and right when that happens, they don't even have a moment to like cry or really react to it. It's just like boom, their house is being invaded by these things called bugux. It's uh, an indigenous tribal mythology where it's it's like it's like translucent skin that glows with um, bones inside, and they eat livers, and they're hunters. They're like they're like fallen warriors that go on the hunt and try to uh, to just accumulate as many livers as possible instead of brains. So it's kind of like zombies, but not. And they're hunters, and they make bone-rattling sounds as they walk. So these things are hunting the children all of a sudden, and they just they have to go on the run, and you don't know why. So it's it definitely does not skip a beat. And I honestly, I'm trying to think of... I feel like from page... Forward to like the end of the story, it's just one long, just people just trying to get to them. Yeah, it's it's very it's very much a very frenetic um, fight for your life, dogpile, and it's really interesting. And the flashbacks are pretty much the only preview you have yeah. from this like onslaught that they have to face.
0: And what what's so so nice about about the story? So you know, you mentioned like the the, the creatures or the vampires that are fighting. But so in, in in this world that you've created, they're common knowledge that that they exist.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a world that it's 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 been part of it. So it's like they don't even have like a time before this. It just has always been.
0: Yeah. So so that that's cool because a lot of times when when you know there, there's. You monster hunters or whatever, like that. You know, the, it seems like the general populace isn't really aware of it. And then, you know, so it's like then you kind of wonder, it's like, well, how can all these you know evil things be out there without people knowing about it? So, so I, I like that it's it's there. You know, people know about it. You know, there, there's a guy with a camera, you know, filming everything. So yeah, that, that's pretty cool. That it's it's like that.
1: Yeah, I um, I really I really wanted to go. I, I was like, how realistic is it that all these things could exist in the world? And uh, I kind of just went back and I started reading, like, mythology and folklore and, like, people believed this stuff. Like, it was like, yeah, there wasn't cameras and, and uh, you know, actual proof in your face, but people actually believed that, like, in regions that there would be, like, you know, like, especially now we have, like, what, uh, the skunk ape, which is, like, a, new, a newer one. But it's, like, people believe in that. They're, like, oh, yeah, don't go into, like, the swamp at night because the skunk, skunk ape might get you or whatever. So it's, like, it's very much a it's a it's kind of just like what if this was real and scientific reasoning go oh yeah that doesn't exist because we haven't seen it before like what if people have actually seen it but it's like one of those things where it happens so rarely or people have learned the tricks not to get like eaten or killed and they just like that's just how people live now yeah so like society still exists the way it exists but it's just it it has this underlying thing where you know like you know that if you go into a forest and you come across a bear, you're not going to like want to engage it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same idea, except we changed bear to like werewolf. Or
0: <laughs> now you you said that you you wrote this back in college.
1: I, I wrote the first issue back in college, and I came up with the the entirety of like how I wanted to be. Like, I came up with like story beats mm-hmm. um, in a screenwriting class that I took, and um, I was like thinking about making it into a movie, and then. In my mind, I was just like, I love comics, and I feel like I haven't actually tried to write a traditional script for a comic. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try that out. And so I wrote the first uh, issue, and um, yeah, I kind of just had it in my back pocket because once you graduate from school, it's like, good luck breaking into exactly what you want to break into. But um, so I kind of struggled a little bit there, and I, I, I worked a couple PA jobs, and you know, produced a couple things uh, like American Idol and So You Think You Can Dance, and. Um, well, to be fair, American Idol was the web content side. So I produced the web content. Okay. Um, I got to say that. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, I just, uh, I ended up getting into writing uh, kind of in a roundabout way through Stephen T. Siegel from Man of Action. Um, he came into my, my shop one day and, and just uh, asked me what I was doing. And I was like, oh, I write. Uh, I wrote something for the ABC Disney Writing Fellowship. And then he kind of just like, you know, was like, oh, cool. Uh, let me know how it goes, and then eventually he came back to the shop a couple months later. I was like, "Yeah, I got into the semifinals. Like, I'm doing interviews. Do you want to help me out?" Because he used to be a speech and forensics guy, and so he gave me some pointers. And uh, I didn't, I didn't get in, but you know, I think he took notice and he wanted to see some scripts. And after he read a couple of scripts, he he said, "Hey, do you want to write an episode of Spider-Man?" So, uh, I got to write an episode of Ultimate Spider-Man. and kind of took off from there.
0: So so now, now how is that, you know, since, since you've done some comics now and, you know, writing that, is, is there like a different approach in writing a script for those?
1: Oh yeah, totally. Completely. Like I, I think the way I used to work was I would look at these people that I admired. I'd read their scripts, like their movie scripts, and I would try to emulate like how they wrote. And it was very much like a, it was very much a way of uh, kind of just like not being myself and kind of just like trying to see if like I can kind of like try to copy copy the success of someone that came before and their style and their way of approaching writing. And as I uh, started working with Man of action, they, they definitely encouraged me to like break out of that a little bit and try to do my try to find my own voice, and I did. Um, and I think I've, I think I've become very successful at trying to just do what's in my heart and my head. And and have it come out on the page in a way that people respond to it well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I, I've been I've been very fortunate to be with these guys. I really I really appreciate the guidance that they've given me.
0: Now, you know, so, you know, Spider Man in in the show is is a little different, you know, because you know he he kind of breaks the fourth wall a little and that. So was was that weird? Because you know, like like when when people think of Spider Man, you know, you they have an idea, but it's like it's it's still Spider Man. But it's it's a little different, and I, I I would imagine trying to write his his witty banter is a little different because not only is he talking to the other characters, but he's also talking to the audience. So you just have to like keep that going like almost nonstop.
1: Yeah, uh, Spider Man definitely it was definitely a good uh, script to kind of uh, you know get my feet wet because it is a script where. The main character does not shut up and it's really hard because you only have so many so much time to fit in dialogue along with your script and the guy is just constantly talking he's like making fun of things and he has got like a fourth wall thing going on and and um it, it was very interesting to write because i remember writing my first one and i wrote it like i think the dialogue i think i ended up writing like so much less than it should have been like uh Word count wise, mm-hmm. I think the typical word count for one of our uh, one of the Spider-Man shows was around like two hundred and fifteen uh, lines of dialogue, mm-hmm. and I think I ended up writing like one hundred and seventy or something, <laughs> like something like really terse. And I let a lot of like the animation do the speaking for me, and it, it was kind of one of those things where I learned that you know the character itself that's part of his personality, and you kind of definitely got to work that in there. And the the fourth wall is definitely breaking away from comic. Uh, standpoints it's it's very much more in the line of Deadpool mm-hmm. but um it was one of those things where you just it, it was nice to go how would i how would I write this scene but then do it from spider man's perspective and it's it's very interesting to do and it, it's a show uh that we definitely tried to gear towards more of like a younger audience um because you know they love spider man and yeah. they they definitely are uh, an audience that I feel like is something that you want to capture for future, you know, uh, get them hooked mm-hmm. with that. So it was definitely a, a really good experience because it, it definitely had me going, how do I do this, but put it in this character's voice, even though it's something I don't ever really read or see. So yeah. it, was, it was interesting.
0: I, I, I kind of describe it as a diary, diary of a wimpy kid. Because, you know, I, I have an 11-year-old daughter and, you know, she – reads those books and I love the movies. I, I think they're, they're hilarious. And, and there's a lot of that where, you know, when, when, when Spider-Man's talking, you know, you got the other little animation that kind of, you know, pops in his head or whatever. And so it, it's, it's definitely a different take. And at first I was like, what's going on here? But, you know, watching more, um, I'm like, you know, it, it's, it's definitely interesting because it's, it's not the same old thing that, you know, we've seen 20 times and, you know, other, you know, animated series.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely, uh It was an acquired taste, I think, for a lot of people when they joined up, because you do have fans of all ages, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of people that are very uh, tried and true with how it is in the comic books, and I don't think that's exactly where we were going with it. I think we were trying to do our own thing, but still, like, you know, be respectful of everything that came before it. Yeah. Um, And it's one of those things where it is very much like, I I know exactly what you're talking about, because I saw the first movie. Um, (laughs) It. But it, what, what's really cool about it is it also does it, – it does a really cool uh, character break. So kind of like in Goners where I have the flashback scenes, you can inform you can infer a lot of what's going on in the situation by a really quick cutaway to, like, these chibi characters, uh, you know, doing something wacky in the background. And it kind of gives you an idea of exactly what we're trying to get across without having to come, at, come across it with just dialogue. You know, just dialogue. This is what's happening. You just see it visually, and you kind of get it, yeah. which I think was uh, a really cool way of keeping kind of, like, the pacing a little faster than it needed to be – or than, uh, than slower.
0: But now when you were talking about, like, word count and all that, I, like, I never really thought about it just – because, you know, what – I I'd imagine writing a comic, you know, okay, I have 20 pages, 22 pages, you know, whatever number of pages, so you, you can – you know it's easier to visually lay out the script say okay this is going to be page one there'll be six panels or you know anything like that but versus an animated show you have okay I have 22 minutes and you need to you know so I guess you also have to kind of consider how the dialogue is going to be read and then you know is there going to be a pause you know two second pause for a reaction and then an explosion so I'd imagine it's, it's, it's totally a whole different game
1: Oh, yeah, no, it really is. Um, I was actually talking to a couple of friends about this. Uh, it's it's really weird, like, because I've been doing this for about three and a half years, four years of, of cartoons. Like, I've been writing a lot of animated shows. And um, right now I'm like, okay, cool, I can settle down and, like, kind of, like, also do comic books as well on the side. The two styles are completely different. It's, it's insane how much you can get across with cartoons because everything is happening in kind of like a fluid motion Mm -hmm. and you can only tell so much in a comic book without feeling making it feel like it's crammed and um it's very interesting to see the two because in comic books you could really you really should only accomplish like kind of like one big thing with cartoons you can accomplish like three big things in like 22 minutes Mm -hmm. and it's it's really interesting to see like how much you have to kind of like pace yourself, or for me at least in in uh, comic book writing, because I definitely have to lay it out, lay it out page by page. Which is something I also learned from Steve Siegel, is I lay everything out page by page and exactly what I want to happen on that page can only fit like maybe ten words
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, of you know of me writing what it's going to happen on that page, and um, you know and that's how I lay it out, lay it out page by page, and then eventually. That might even be too much. <laughs> so you still have to go in and parse out more. You just got to take take in and take out stuff. And uh, it's, it's, it's very different because with uh, the cartoons, I feel like there's a lot of plotting and that you can kind of get everything you want out of your head, like right on the page, and then just kind of like form it like clay. With comic books, I feel like it's very like deliberate. Like every move I make is very deliberate. It's it's kind of it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird dichotomy for me at least is I don't know about others but for me it's it's very much like I throw everything in my head on the page for a, a cartoon script and then in comic books I I really have to like like really map out exactly what I want to happen in every single page.
0: Now you you also did some com- comic adaptations of the the Ultimate Spider Man series. So were, yeah, did, yeah, were were those different than Well, because I I see in in the credits, Me Time, you did both of those. So were the other ones, um, like, episodes that you wrote, or were they just different, you know, set in this comic universe?
1: No, yeah. So Steve Wacker uh, was heading up uh, the Spideyverse uh, in the comic comic side of things when I was doing this. And um, we talked about it, and it it was, like, it was very much a – Ten pages to tell your story, and the next ten pages is for the next story for some other writer artist uh, combo. So you had ten pages to tell a story, and coming from TV, I'm very much a guy that has. I really want to add in a theme. I want to add in something that, like, the character learns. I want to have a beginning, middle, and end, even if it's short. And that's really it. Was really it was really difficult to do in ten pages, and um, I'm actually kind of proud of those. I, I really, I really think that. Uh, even though they're kind of uh, kid oriented, and I think probably no one, uh, you know, really read them that I know, uh, it's it's a very kid comic book type thing. Um, it was something that I, I feel like I I really did explore a lot of ideas that I wanted to do eventually in the future, and I kind of just threw them in the Spideyverse, and I, I thought it was really cool. Um, but yeah, it, it was it was very difficult to write in ten pages.
0: But yeah, I mean, I, I've I've read those because I've oh, i got them for my daughter. Um, cause, and that's, that's the thing, you know, you, you mentioned before with, with the show and, and with this comic, there's, there's not a lot for the younger readers. You know, when you look at, at the, you know, 616 comics, everything is, you know, teen or teen plus, And, you know, it, it's almost like everything is getting a little edgier, you know, more and more. So when you have kids that are, you know, 10 or under, it's like, they don't, they don't really have a whole lot that they can, can read unless it's. You know, something like Adventure Time or, you know, or you know, things that aren't really superhero-driven.
1: Yeah, um, it's kind of becoming an unfortunate state of affairs, I think. Um, there, there really isn't a lot of things for kids to read um, that isn't super adult. It, it feels like a lot of the people that used to really have a passion for it growing up have turned into the people that now run it, and they kind of go... This is what I would love to see, and also, to tell you the truth, it's kind of what sells books. I mean, on the inverse of it, cartoons a lot of it's kid centric because, you know, kids will buy toys, and they they're like the main seller, like they're the, the main audience, and they'll and they'll buy those toys. For comic books, it's like you want kids to buy comics, but there's not really a lot of kids buying comics. Yeah. It seems. So you have a lot of adults that buy comics, and you don't want to you don't want to shun them. And it's kind of a sad state of affairs because it really does come down to, you know, the dollar kind of ruling everything. Um, If you want to see more of something, even if you're not a fan of it, like if you're not a fan of, like, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that, like, was super revolutionary that happened recently. I mean, you know, uh, was it Ms. Marvel uh, that uh, she was Islamic or Muslim? Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: And, uh,. You know, maybe even if you don't like to read that book, if you buy that book, you're supporting it in a way that people will take notice to it, and they'll they'll start going, "Okay, cool. Um, maybe we should do more of this. Maybe we should do like different things. Maybe we can have more like diverse characters, racially diverse female characters that are superheroes. It's definitely it's definitely one of those things where it's like if if you want to see more of it, you have to kind of fund it. Yeah. It's unfortunate but that's kind of how it is. Yeah, and um I believe I heard that also from Stephen T. Sinkle. He's uh he's kind of just a little mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. So no, I actually was thinking about that. bike. I heard that somewhere before. Get open. Yeah. And I think it was him, actually. Yeah. So yeah, I think I've talked about him enough today, don't you?
2: No, no,
0: that's fine. He's he's a. I, <laughs> I I've typed, I, I think I've met him once at uh I think it was a WonderCon. I all these conventions start to blend together. Um I it, yeah, it, it was it was like right before the show came out, I think we, we did an interview with them. Um, but, but I, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, w- what the comics cost, you know, like two ninety nine. you know, is the average parent gonna buy a comic for two ninety nine? you know, for the kid. And then, you know, they'll, they'll read it, you know, 10 minutes maybe. Um, you know, I, I, I know I'm not the, the typical parents. Cause of course, you know, I'm going to buy these, these comics for my daughter. So I, I always wonder if, if that's part of it. Um, cause when I first started buying comics, you know, they were sixty cents each, and it's it seemed like you know you could talk about it, like inflation and you know all that stuff. It, it, it seemed like it was easier to get into comics, you know, when I was younger versus now. You know, you're looking at the cost, and I don't even know what a kid's allowance is these days cause, like, <laughs> because, like, at like my my daughter, she doesn't have an allowance. I mean, she she gets a lot of birthday money, and yeah. you know, occasionally we'll, we'll we'll give her some you know money or something like that. But it's it's kind of like you know if she wants something. If she, you know, she she knows not to just ask for anything. So, like, I'll I'll hand her comics every week. I was like, here's here's a new comic that came out, and and she'll read it. So I, I just I wonder what it's like for with with other parents, like, like normal parents, I guess I should say.
1: And yeah, I I think that um, I think the nice thing that's happening right now, at least, um, is that a lot of the people that grew up reading comic books are now parents, and I feel like that's kind of something that now you can kind of like try to bequeath to your kids like Mm -hmm. that, that interest and that passion. Um, It's, it's something I've seen a lot uh, from working in a comic shop when I was younger. Um, There really is a a passion that parents share with their kids. They like take them down the aisle and, you know, kids will sometimes pick up something where it's like not appropriate. And the, you know, the parent will be like, no, but for the most part, they try to get them at least into the culture. And when you go to Comic-Con, it's, it's like insane. Like there's kids everywhere. So I think it's I think it's definitely something that um, is slowly taking root, especially with all these like superhero movies coming out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Guardians being a really good case for that. It's got you know, it's got like a really good uh, it's got a really good family vibe to it, even though it's got that edgy vibe to it as well. Mm-hmm. It, it really definitely does cover the the four quadrants. I think where it can it's young, old, men, women. I really, I really do think that movie was pretty brilliant, in how, how they marketed it, and they, how they, how they had the character dynamics play out in the movie. Yeah. Um, but I think that also does really, you know, get kids amped towards. I want to read a comic book with those characters, and, and you know, hopefully, you know, we can do stuff that makes it a little bit younger for them, more accessible
2: for yeah. younger. Kids. Yeah, and
0: like you know, mentioning Guardians of the Galaxy, and it's like you know, right when the movie came out, then. They announced there's gonna be an animated series, and and you know like before the movie came out, you know Disney Infinity, you know Guardians of the Galaxy are gonna be a part of it. So I I think that that's that's brilliant. Um, I almost wish we had more animated shows because for me growing up, it's like I we we had like these really cool um, um, stations. This is like in the suburbs of Chicago where they would show a lot of like these old shows, and so I I would watch uh, like. Uh, you know, Super Friends and S- S- Spider-Man show from you know the '60s, and so it's like there's not a whole lot that's that's out these days, you know. Because so Marvel has, I guess, three. You know, they got Spider-Man, Avengers, and Hulk. Um, and in like you know DC, there's only uh, Teen Titans Go. So it's like there's there's not a whole lot of like comic book shows to educate these, you know, the, you know, educate, the teach the kids about the characters. And when, when you look at a lot of the movies, <clears throat> you know, cause some of them, you know, what, if they got the PG 13 rating, it's like, you know, you don't necessarily want to take like a six year old to, to see that. So, so it's, 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 it's great having, you know, shows like ultimate Spider-Man or having the comics because it's like we, we need, this next generation to become, you know, the dominant generation at at some point, because us, you know, parents will try to, you know, bring our kids along, but the kids have to get interested in it as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's also, that's also the part where I find it interesting because, you know, uh, on the opposite of that, as growing up, like my parents were not in (laughs) the comics somehow (laughs) I got, I just naturally fell in love with them. Like I, I remember walking into uh, 7-Eleven and on spinner racks when they had them in 7-Eleven, which was awesome, uh, they had Infinity War, which had, like, you know, Adam Warlock in the center and then all the Marvel heroes behind him. It was, like, a yellow page, uh, yellow background, and it just said Infinity War, and it was, like, I knew loosely that, like, there was, like, you know, Spider-Man and Captain America and Hulk and stuff like that. Like, I, I loosely knew who they were from, like, cartoons, but... Um, you know seeing that cover i was like oh it's got all of them like i had to read i got to read this one like this is the one i got to pick up and then i think more or less i kind of fell in love with the art so i don't know i mean i think children are very visually they're very like stimulated by visuals and uh i think if you just make things interesting and and iconic for them to like kind of grasp onto i think that's that's like you know half the battle right there I think that you really have to, you know, just kind of grab grab their imagination more than anything else. And I think it's really interesting um, if comics don't do that now to people who are, like, trying to introduce them to it, to, to adults that are trying to introduce their children to it. I think it's really interesting if it doesn't do that because I feel like there might be a sadness. Uh, sadly, it might be a failure on our part on trying to communicate that imagination and wonder to them. Yeah. Because um, I remember when I was younger, I had the same thing. I mean, I, I, I lived in Cleveland, Ohio when I was way young and I remember watching super friends and like the Spider-Man cartoon. And, um, I just remember being very enthralled with like how those things are. And I watch them now and I laugh because they're so just cheesy. <laughs> yeah. But, um, and that voice is amazing. It's like the whole justice. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, what? <laughs> I don't even understand like why I like this, but I, I think you look at all the colorful heroes, you know, running around and like doing stuff, and you're just like adventure, fun. I, I think
0: I think they re-edited them between then and and now.
1: <laughs> yes, they made <laughs> them. They made them more like old timey. Back
0: mm-hmm. then, it was real edgy. Yeah, they're like like uh, like it's been years. We'll change it now, and they'll never know.
1: Yeah, no, but I mean, I think that I think that's really a big thing is like. And also kind of a boon to what Marvel Studios has been doing recently is that they've, they've really been capitalizing on their characters, but in a in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not so gritty and gruesome. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, it's like very, like, yeah, we're really the good guys, and, you know, we're going to rise up against this, this bad stuff. We're not going to, like, you know, go to their level. We're going to be like, no, we're going to win our, on our terms. And I think that that's, like, a really good message that they have through all their brands. Um, through Marvel Studios. Yeah. So I, I, I really, uh, I really do find them very interesting in how they're, they're kind of slowly taking over the field of entertainment in general.
0: Mm-hmm. They, now they just need to get people watching the movies to buy the comics.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I, I, I really, I really don't think that it's something that's not going to translate. I think it's, I think it will. Um, I just think that over time it's easier to give someone a trade, to uh-huh. get them involved, you you need a gateway drug comic. Yeah. Uh, I call uh, Joe Kelly's uh, "I Kill Giants" a gateway drug comic because uh-huh. it's. Uh, have you read it? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very much a comic that you can give to anyone, uh, including like you know women or kids or whatever, and they'll read it and they'll be like, "Oh, this is really cool!" Like, it's it's got everything you need. It's it, it would be the four quadrant of comics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like there just needs to be gateway drug comics where it's like. You can get a female audience really into it, or you can get uh, a young audience really into it. It's it's not like it's got to be just like uh, muscly dudes fighting things, you know. It, I mean, I'm not saying female there are no female comic readers. There definitely are, um, but I'm saying like it's it's you definitely want something that can appeal to everyone, and and they can all enjoy it. It's not something that uh, just needs to be for kind of one group of people, which I, I find is where a lot of things sorely lack in comic books.
2: Yeah.
0: Now you also, um, wrote some episodes of Avengers assemble. So how was, how did that compare to ultimate Spider-Man since it's, you know, a little, it's more traditional than ultimate Spider-Man.
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's very traditional, um, in the respect that it's the group team, every episode fighting against, you know, the bad guy. And it's, there's no, there's no cutaways around like that. um, I, I almost found it refreshing because it kind of felt like it kind of felt like I grew up. So it was like I'm writing like straight up like four wall like very animated, humory type things, and then it was kind of like okay, this is like high school now, where I'm like writing like real situations of like dire threats and like you know uh, fighting against like people who are going to end the world. You did that in Spider Man, but you also did it with like a tongue in cheek type of humor. With Avengers, it's kind of like, it's it's a little bit more serious, there's still humor involved, um, but the threats are just a little bit more global. Um, so I, d- I definitely did feel a little bit more like I kind of like was in, you know, junior high, and then I graduated high school, and and, <laughs> and my comic is now college. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really cool, like the sensibilities of like, where you combat things, when you Going to Spider-Man, you have to kind of make, you have to turn your brain a little bit towards, like, what do kids want to see? And what can be fun and get a chuckle out of them? And then with Avengers, it's like you still want to do that, but you also kind of want to, like, play towards a little bit more of the serious side so that you get a little bit more of those older kids and, you know, adults.
0: Now, when you, you wrote your episodes, uh, was there any sort of, like, outline or guideline, like, you know, this is what we want to happen or you want the characters to get here or did you get, like, free reign? Did you like, I really want to focus on, you know, Hawkeye in this episode or.
1: Yeah. Uh, no. So uh, I don't think any, I don't really think anything goes the free reign route anymore where you just write a script and people buy it or not. Yeah. Um, uh, now it's, we have story summits where we go and we meet up and we break, you know, like six episodes. And then with those beats, they'll get written out by the story editor for the season. And uh, there'll be like beats that we write on, on a board together in a room full of people, and um, you know those beats get kind of turned into an outline, and then that outline goes to script. And throughout this entire process, you're getting notes back and forth, so you change things throughout. But you go to a script, then you go to a second draft, then a third draft, and if it still needs work, you go to a fourth draft. But that rarely happens.
0: Mm, interesting.
1: Yeah, so it's it's definitely a it's definitely a team effort. Uh, to kind of, like, have the entire vision of the season work out the way it does, it's it's very much like a, a, a hive mindset where you're like, okay, we all are on board with where we want to go. This is what we should to get do to get there, and this is who we should see, and this is what the situation should be, and whatever. And um, with Season 2 of Avengers, there's um, a little bit more, towards the second half of the season, of kind of, like, actual, like, story arcs, where there will still be, a, it'll still be a self-contained episode, but it'll be building to something in, you know, five episodes. It'll be building something that will, you know, eventually be the resolution to what was happening in those five episodes.
0: Hmm. All right. Now, um, since this is a, a podcast of stuff, so, you know, we don't just talk comic book stuff. Talk about whatever <laughs> I want. So uh, you, you worked on So You Think You Can Dance. Yeah. My, my wife. Um, and daughter, they they love the show, so I always get get hooked into it. Um, now, now, how how did that? How did you get started working as as a producer in it?
1: Oh man, it's a it's a really uh, interesting story. Of it's not actually interesting at all. It's it's a really good story of timing. Um, I, I did PA work when I came back uh, from school, and you know, off and on, in between shows, I'd have to work at a movie theater. I used to be a manager of. And um, one day I got a phone call from my friend who was like, hey, do you still have that camera that you used in college? She was a college friend. I'm like, yeah. He's like, so you still know how to work it and stuff, right? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, one of our guys got another show. Um, we need you. We want to know if you want to come in to interview to be a producer on the show. Or so I guess as associate producer of the show. Uh, you know, And we actually use the camera you own, so I know you know how to use it. And I was like, all right, cool. So the next day I went in for an interview and – they just like messed with the settings and they like, they like mess it up completely to the point where like you had to fix it in like 30 <laughs> seconds. Uh, I fixed all the settings in 30 seconds and you know, I put it on the tripod all right and whatever. And then the, that was part one of the interview. And the second part of the interview was I had to actually talk to people and try to get them to talk to me. Uh, <laughs> Cause a lot of the people that go there are so either preoccupied with, what they're doing that they're like, I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to like, you know, focus or they're, everything's riding on, on the line for them. So they're, you know, they're all their hopes and dreams are like in this one basket of just trying to get past the audition or some of them are there just to be characters and get on TV.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So You kind of just have to like really kind of gauge who these people are and like how to talk to them and like, what's the best tact of like, you know, getting them to like conversity back. And, uh, you know, I did that all right as well. And then all of a sudden they were like, okay, cool. Do you mind going on a three month, uh, tour of United States, (laughs) uh, next week? And I was like, cool. (laughs) I I did not know all of that was involved, but I did it and it was really interesting. And I, I actually would never change any of it. I had a really good time. It's definitely something that I recommend to people if they have a chance to, travel the United States in three months and just talk to random people about their dreams and their hopes.
0: Yeah. So, you know, I, I I always wonder how, how, how that worked. And I don't know if you can, you know, really touch on this because, you know, a lot of times you, you, when you see these stories, you know, and, and a lot of times it's, it's, it's before we see the contestant go on stage and do their audition you, know, you find out who they are before they they get there in front of the judges. So is it is it part of like their applications where they talk about something? Then and it's decided like, oh, this this person really interesting. I, I mean, I don't know if if you can disclose yeah. how that works.
1: No, I can't. Uh, we do it to the contestants. So uh, so basically, how it works is uh, through the TV magic of you know uh, editing. Uh, we. We definitely find people that are characters
2: Mm -hmm.
1: in Audition City. So, like, as they're auditioning, we talk to them. We do interviews with every single person that auditions. Uh, Like, you know, like who you you are, blah, blah, blah. Actually, wait. Let me take that back real fast. Let me take that back. Uh, We go through the lines uh, before they open the doors. We talk to people, you know, film it. uh, Just kind of get the whole shot of people waiting outside. And there's just people that there's there's certain people that we flag, and then sometimes there are people that slip by and then become like amazing that you didn't even know, uh, and those people audition and usually if they get a ticket, uh, they'll they'll or uh, they'll they get through like a, a phase one, where they go through a preliminary round without cameras on, and those people will get like a a pass to move on to the actual like taping of it, of the audition. And a lot of those people, the producers will talk about like, okay, this this guy's really cool. He knows how to like do parkour. Um, He's like an urban parkour guy. And he like does stuff that's illegal. Maybe we should like follow him one day. And then there's one that's like, oh, like he was left on a church step or something. (laughs) You know, it's like, you're just trying to like follow these people that have really interesting parts of their lives. But you really do dwindle it down from like hundreds of people that you don't shoot, uh, but they audition still to mm-hmm. the people that actually kind of get through to like the shooting phase. And those are the people with interesting stories. And usually we'll shoot, we'll shoot the audition and then afterwards we'll shoot their story. And then when it goes to the air, it'll be all cut together. So it's like, you can cut to the person's story right before they go on you know, go okay. on stage or whatever. So it's very much like a two-step process. One part you don't see as an audience member, and the other part uh, you see cut together all fancy and flashy.
0: Now, um, wh- what did you do on, on American Idol? Was it the same type of thing?
1: American Idol was different because while there were audition cities, it was, you you for the website of things... Like, so the content, there's like a website, it's called like AmericanIdol.com, and you basically go on there to vote and everything, right? So when you go on there, there's all this content, there's all these videos, there's behind the scenes, there's getting to know the, the uh, contestants, there's talking to like, well, I did season 10, so I did the Steven Tyler, J-Lo, uh, you know, um, Randy scene uh, uh, season, mm-hmm. and you get to talk to them, and you, you do stuff with like Ryan Seacrest, where you do like a little like this is like our backstage and blah blah blah. So you definitely uh have a lot of content to fill, but you will go after the producers have done what I did on So You Think and Dance, you'll go to those cities and you'll like just you'll do interviews with all those people separately after they've already like gotten through to uh you know, the Green Mile.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Wait, the Green Mile is in uh So You Think and Dance. uh I think it's called uh Vegas week or something like that I haven't done this in so long I'm sorry excuse me uh so anyway you you do interview those people but the, the meat of what I did was during the season where I would record the contestants like doing like you know their little diaries or whatever or uh Coca-Cola has like a room they sponsor where like the contestants are like, relaxed before they go on stage and you just talk to them about stuff that like you have viewers write in like uh what they want questions they want answered and then you just like have them answer it and you cut it together as little packages and you put it online and then I would do the live show. So like when the show is airing, I would actually cut together stuff while commercials were happening. So it's like I cut together the performance while the commercials happening and I sync it together and I put it up online so you can vote on it when the show's over. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was like really quick editing of the performance and like the lead in And, uh, it was really fun because I, I definitely, it was like trying to race against the clock to like put together something that looked, you know, presentable. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was really
0: interesting. That's cool. All right. I don't, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you have some other things to do, but again, people need to check out, they need to order, they need to talk to a comic store. So they need to say, Hey, I want goners, order that, put it on your, your shelves, put it one in my pull list. Yeah. yeah,
1: um I, I think uh so Goner's it comes out October twenty second through Image Comics. And um you know, I think you just go to your local comic book store and you just ask for goners Image Comics October twenty second. Uh I have the code right here. Hold on one second, I could give it to you. It's uh man, I should have had this up, I didn't realize.
0: <laughs> I I'm I'm sure they they can find it. The, I mean store owners should know. It's like, okay, image section goners done.
1: For sure. I mean, that's that's really kind of how you just you just go in and you just tell them yeah. and, and pull lists too. I mean, you have a, you know, you have, in your local comic book store. they usually should be pull lists that you can just tell your the owner or the manager. Just I want to pull this. Yeah. I promise you, it'll be worth your two ninety nine.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it's only two ninety nine. It's not you know three fifty or you know something like that. so. It's definitely worth it, and it's 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 gonna get them hooked and.
1: Yeah. If you're a fan of like Johnny Quest, Batman the animated series, Rocketeer, Goonies, uh, Monster Squad, like just throwback adventure, uh that's kind of timeless atemporal with kids involved against monsters, then you totally hooked.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: That's your, that's your jam.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, thanks Jacob. So, everyone make sure you you look into that. And um now I have to wait for issue 3. <laughs>
1: Yeah, four months, man. Wow, just four months. <laughs> All
0: right. Well, I'll, I'll just I'll just have to reread them over and over until then.
1: <laughs> All right, thank you so much. <laughs> All right,
0: we'll, we'll we'll talk. Are you going to be at New York Comic Con?
1: I uh, I don't think so. No, not this year. It's a little tight for me.
0: Okay, well, we'll definitely we'll we'll have to do one of these again sometime.
1: That'd be awesome. Thank you so much. All
0: right. All right. Have a good one. You too. All right. So definitely check that out, Goners. It's it's really interesting, really cool. I can't wait to see more. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're going to call that a show, so we'll do this again. If you have any questions, um, go to the forums, go on, on Twitter, go to the Facebook page, let me know. Um, I know I haven't really done questions the last um, few episodes, but definitely you know, let me know if, if there's something that you, you want to know, that you want to hear, and we'll, we'll do this again. All right? Thanks. Love you. So my question, my question is, is, who could it be? Could it be? We don't, we don't know. know. And I would like I to, to, I ask 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 to ask you which comic book does affect, the affect the you most emotionally. That's the question. Don't question. shake, your, shake head. your head. I love Alan Davis. This is a John it's Byrne, John Byrne. A issue. I love thing. Alan I love Davis. Davis. I, I, I wasn't a fan of this. what? That's the question. You can't blame the immediate creative team.
2: <laughs> I give I gave this a two. <laughs>